Hey America, JD Collier, and it's time once again for the Eagle Haas and Hound podcast. Uh, I'm down in my basement and I wanted to show you the progress that I've been making on this wall. Uh, so this, uh, I had shown this other part of the wall, which was the gray part, uh, representing the service part of the eagle. And uh, now I've got the yellow part complete. So you can see the camouflage that is uh, representative of the cautious time of going into civilian work after leaving the service. And uh, so that's what I have right now. The next part is going to be this blue part is when you're the soaring eagle getting into your stride for your career. And then that green part down there is going to be uh, retirement. So uh, I'm working on it. Anyway, uh, this week's episode is going to be part two uh, where I will talk about John F. Kennedy. And I'm also going to continue talking about this book here, 400 Souls. Uh, it's an excellent book. And uh I think I'm actually going to make it three parts. Last time I told you it was going to be two parts. But this book, this book is so long, you can see how thick it is. I still got uh, about 150 pages left to read on it, and it's uh, really, really good reading. So um, today we're going to talk about John F. Kennedy, the assassination that happened uh, later in 1963, and uh, a little bit of my theories on uh, what happened or, or why it happened, more, more so why it happened, and... Uh, We'll continue our talk on that. So uh, last week, the uh, eagle attribute was service, and uh, this week is going to be sacrifice. So we'll talk about a sacrifice named John F. Kennedy, uh, who uh, his, his life became a sacrifice uh, for many reasons. So I'm J.D. Collier, and I hope you enjoy the show. Please uh, remember to like and subscribe and, and leave me some comments so we can have a good dialogue. Talk to you later. This is the Eagle, Haas, and Hound podcast. Welcome. Created by Eagle Impact and Johnny Tilt Productions, this podcast honors and respects the service veterans and spouses, the social integrity heroes of our past, and the common American mutt. That's right, you. With this podcast, we provide a platform for respect. We respect the eagle. That is, the individual with a service background, the sworn hero from the uniform who has risked it all for our protection. Plus, we respect and honor the Hoss, that is, the social integrity leader from our past, such as Franklin, Ulysses, Lincoln, and others from our American history. Finally, we respect you, the Hound, as we discuss the topics of the day, listening and learning together to improve our work, home, and family. Each week, we will bring you value in the form of knowledge and perspective, just like you heard, we are all in this together, so get ready for another excellent show. It's the Eagle, Haas, and Hound podcast. This contributor, Michael Harriet, writes about Reconstruction from 1869 to 1874. And uh, I'll read a little bit from this. What you are about to read is the story of the first war on terror. No, wait. This is actually the origin story of the second wave white supremacy known as Jim Crow laws. This is a war narrative. This is a horror story, but it's also a suspense thriller that ends in triumph. It also ends in tragedy. It's a true story about a fantastic myth. This is a narrative, nonfiction account of the all-American fairy tale of liberty and justice for all. Behold, the untold story of the Great American Race War. Before we begin, we shall introduce our hero. The hero of this drama is black people, all black people. The free blacks, the uncloaked maroons, the black elite, 
the preachers and reverends, the doormen and doctors, the sharecroppers and soldiers. They are all protagonists in our epic adventure. Spoiler alert, the hero of this story does not die. Ever. I actually like this uh, part of the book. Uh, several different contributors contribute a few pages to this story called uh, 400 Souls. And uh, you can see how that one, it's a very creative story. Many of these are like that. And it's just taking from a, a certain perspective of someone who lived during that time. Um, you know, many of these authors, they, they study, uh, you know, history. And uh, some of them are just excellent writers. And their contri contribution to this book has been really good. Okay, so um, it... It's 400 years, basically, from 1619 till 2019, told in little snippets uh, by different perspectives and different places, even. There's an article or there's a story in here about Oregon, okay, and about how, you know, uh, a person of African-American origin who lives in Oregon um, had to experience racism and the, the different kinds of ways that they operated uh, to, to re even go into their neighborhood and and uh, buy out the houses, you know, for uh, cheap prices, and then next thing you know, they flip the neighborhood into a place that you couldn't afford to live anymore, okay? That was one way that, that uh, the, the forces of racism were working, even in Oregon. Oregon not even being considered to be like a southern state or one of these traditional racist states. Uh, but in fact, uh, you know, the the percentage, if you look at the, uh, the makeup of, of the population, the demographics, the percentage of... Uh, African-American there is really low. Um, so there are there are reasons for this. It's kind of like by design, and that's one of the things that I've been saying for a long time. So if you read this book, you can see little by little parts of American history where this design was put in play, okay? So, um, you know, last time I told you about from the 1600s until the, you know, sometime in the 1700s, and um, how when the, the slaves came over on ships and they had to just go right into slavery. They came from different parts of Western Africa and uh, had to leave their, you know, their life behind and, and start doing this weird thing, this forced labor thing called slavery. And uh, sometimes people became free for whatever reason. They were given their freedom or they earned their freedom somehow. But then they really weren't free, okay, because there were laws that were put in place that d designated people by their skin color started to value you because of what your skin looks like. And uh, then people couldn't be free because, well, you know, I have a certain uh, continental origin, certain uh, latitudinal origin in my skin from my, from my ancestors. And, you know, it's not your fault what you're born like, but uh, you're designated, you know, based on that. And so um, that's one of the biggest, biggest problems that happened because of the slave trade is this desire. And who was writing the laws was the owners of the slaves, of course. So, um you know, forward that every legislature, uh, even the northern states, before it was uh, before we came to the United States of America, all the northern colonies they were they had slavery legal, and the only way they could start making it illegal was when we broke free from England, and then quickly, you know, leaders like Benjamin Franklin, who uh, led Pennsylvania to outlaw slavery as the first state to outlaw slavery, uh, those are some good things that happened, but it wasn't good enough because. The southern states held on to it as long as they did, and there had to be a war, the Civil War, to uh, get rid of it. And uh, so the Civil War, 
uh, during the Civil War, the first part of the Civil War, you know, it, it didn't seem like it didn't seem like the North and even Abraham Lincoln was in a big hurry to free the uh, the slaves and uh, people were pressing him and pressuring him and saying, well, why don't you get those uh, slaves free and help have them go into the army and uh, help defeat this enemy quick? And I, I'm not even sure why he resisted. Probably had some good reason, you know. Uh, he probably was trying to work it uh, politically first. Um, I don't know what the reason is, but in 1863, uh, January 1st of 1863, Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation, which freed all the slaves in the South. Um, I, I guess there were a couple of exceptions, like in Louisiana and Virginia and some places. I don't know why that would be, but, um, you know, the, the the overall force of effect was hey all these slaves are free um, by the by the deck by the uh, Emancipation Proclamation issued by uh, Abraham Lincoln so well this is early 1863 it took a little while for the word to get out that that actually happened and uh, this is also we're in the middle of June okay we're uh, we're in the teens of June today's the 16th we're approaching June 19th. And there's a holiday that we celebrate, or hasn't been celebrated a lot that I know of, but I know it's, I've seen it on the calendar. It's starting to be celebrated even more, and for good reason. Uh, they call it Juneteenth. So uh, the Civil War finally finished up in, in April of 1865, okay? So it's already two years since the, uh, the Emancipation Proclamation freeing the slaves, but it still took a little, a little while longer for that war to finish and one of the good reasons the war was able to finish is because they were you know able to uh, enlist many african-american former slaves to be soldiers okay and they did there was almost 200,000 of them in the forces and um, somewhere around 30,000 gave their lives in the fight so the war ends in april but it took until june 19th in, in some places in Texas, they, they didn't even have word yet that the, that the slaves were free, okay? And it took a, 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 an army officer uh, in Galveston read the, uh, the news to, to the people there. Many of them had, had been slaves that, by the way, uh, you're free. <laughs> uh, the war is over, and there's the Emancipation Proclamation, and you are free, June 19th, 1865. So... It's a great celebration, okay? The, the, the fact that people finally realize that, hey, ha, I'm free. I'm not a slave anymore. So it's a celebration. So, but we know that the, the fight wasn't over, okay? It's a, it's a long battle. It's an epic American, great American race war, okay? And so one phase of the war ended with the end of the Civil War. And then there was the Reconstruction period. Uh, and then we ushered in, you know, the, the, when, when Abe Lincoln was shot, uh, the, the Democrat vice president became president, Andrew Johnson, and uh, he did a lot of damage. From what, the biggest damage I think he did was just, you know, not hold uh, the, the treasonous Southerners accountable. He just said, oh, it's okay. Just go back to your lives and keep your property, no problem, uh, minus the slaves, of course, you know. But um, because of that lack of structure and, and just letting him off the hook like that, I think it, it caused, the, you know, they, they thought, oh, okay, everything's great, cool, you know. But then here comes Ulysses Grant, and he says, nah, we got Reconstruction. This is going to get sorted out. And keeping the troops down there, doing, you know, uh, some things that needed to be done to, to get to, to rebuild the South. And uh, many of the uh, 
the you know the former slaveholders who are still property holders, still very prominent in their community, and uh, they come to realize that wait a minute, these elections are going to happen, and we're outnumbered. You know the 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 slaves were outnumbering the the slaveholders and the non you know the the non African Americans. They were being outnumbered, and they were very very worried because uh, if they were allowed to vote, and and many of the slaves or the former slaves did vote they were not going to be winning elections. In fact, the first couple of elections, uh, the Republicans were, were beating the Democrats. And so, uh, you know, in, in this book, you can read about how the uh, startings of the, these different uh, leagues or groups, uh, the one that became most famous and, and became the one that, uh, that basically did all the damage was called the Ku Klux Klan, where uh, the, uh, the Euro-American Confederate uh, people who were mad about their loss, okay, and then, of course, they were Democrat, and they were very upset that the Republicans were going to have power in, in, in the vote, so they started being vigilantes, and, uh, you know, they even took aim and shot at people. Uh, many of the uh, of the war veterans from the Civil War who were African-American, they would put their uniforms on in pride, and they would march over there and go to vote, okay, and, uh, you know, the news didn't get around as fast as we do nowadays. Back in those days, there were plenty of uh, ugly things that could have happened, but you didn't hear about it. You didn't, there wasn't any news reporting about it, but some massacres happening. Um, pe you know, people going to vote, and they happened to be African-American, and they all got shot down. You know, these terrible massacres happening in various places across the South, just starting this whole war of terror and this reign of terror. Uh, and, and, if, and if people were supporting the African-Americans, maybe they came from the North and they were part of the Reconstruction effort, um, they were also lynched, okay? So I think there's a record, there's probably more, but I think I saw a record of, uh, I don't know, somewhere almost 5,000 lynchings that happened in the South, and 1,500 of those are non-African-Americans, okay? Uh, lynchings because of trying to support their brothers and sisters in, in their they're trying to be regular American citizens. So um, so the, the end of the Civil War was important and part before the war ended, the uh, 13th Amendment was passed and it was signed by Abraham Lincoln. That 13th Amendment was the, the, the part of the Constitution that gave freedom and said there shall be no more slaves. okay Slavery is illegal in America. Um, and why was that even necessary? Because I talked about the Dred Scott case from 1857 where Roger B. Taney, the Supreme Court uh, Chief Justice, he wrote this, this thing basically trying to tell everybody and, and making it sealing it in law uh, basically from his decision that uh, in, in, in what he wrote is he declared that anybody who was from African descent couldn't even be a citizen. They weren't even a person, okay? And, and, that, and he said that, well, his interpretation of the Constitution, what the founders meant was um, what I just said. So because of that terrible damage that was made in 1857, okay, and of course we know that also started, one of the reasons the Civil War started was because of that Dred Scott case. Um, constitutional amendments had to be passed to overturn what that Supreme Court case did. Okay, the first one was the 13th Amendment. They call these the Reconstruction Amendments, by the way, 13th, 14th, 15th. 13th Amendment, which uh, gave freedom and, and said there shall be no more slavery. The 14th Amendment, which gave citizenship, okay? And, uh, 
you know, it, it gave protection of law, equal protection of law for everyone. And then the 15th Amendment came and gave voting rights, okay? In this case, uh, they specified in the voting rights to be uh, for African-American men. So you basically, they just said that you couldn't uh, be denied the, the vote uh, because of your skin color. Um, and, and the other thing that was uh, contentious about that is that at the time, women couldn't vote. So um, I also talked about Susan B. Anthony when she tried to, <laughs> she, when she tried, she went and voted, you know, uh, trying to get some protection from that. But uh, that didn't work out for her until uh, finally uh, women got a chance to vote in 1920. But this is about the, uh, the, the Juneteenth uh, celebration of, of finally being free. Um, and, you know, as, as this book will tell you, America's history in, told in a different way of uh, just how much of a battle this whole great American race war has been. And so I'm going to be telling you about the, the latter part of it in, in the next episode because it's just such a long book. So I wanted to talk a little bit more about John F. Kennedy. Last time I presented a speech that Kennedy gave, June 11th, 18, or June 11th, 1963, where here is uh, the president. He's in his third year. He's getting ready to campaign uh, to be to uh, to go into the the second term. He wants to campaign for that, and um, he gives this speech on the 11th of June, which was very much saying this the civil rights are gonna start going through Congress and I want Congress to act on it now. And he demanded it and, and he should have, he, he was a leader. He did some excellent things in that speech. Um, you know, I just think it was great that he told Americans to, to examine your conscience, okay? And he said that uh, if we can send our troops to uh, Vietnam or we can send them to West Berlin, we don't ask for whites only, okay? So if that's the case, then we should be able to allow anyone to go to schools, colleges, where they're qualified, and they shouldn't have to be supported and backed up by troops, okay? And that's right. And so those were the kind of visionary uh, elements that he was putting out there, and he was putting out there in a very uh, authoritative way. And so I'm saying all this to tell you uh, some of the theories that I have for why later on that year, in November, he was assassinated, okay? So... Yeah, there's, uh, there's theories out there of different reasons, like something about the unions, you know, the mafia, you know. He was also, you know, facing off against the Soviet Union, which, uh, you know, you could say that the, the enemy, the Soviets or whatever, maybe tried to plant somebody. In, but no, 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 no. I think we all know that the biggest threat to our democracy and our way of life in America is not the enemy out there. It's the enemy within. It's the frenemies, the people that act like they are your friends, but in fact, they obey racism, okay? And so um, here's, a, here's what I think happened to John F. Kennedy. I think that his party was upset with him because he was talking the kind of talk that was against his party's object, okay? His party's object being the Democrat Party, their power was all in this white supremacy fallacy, okay? They wanted to continue that. The object of their party was to promote and advance white supremacy. Their party, you could call them the National Association for the Advancement of the Dominant Caste, okay? That's what the Democrat Party is. They're, they specialize in advancing the dominant caste, which has been uh, the white or, you know, the Euro-American uh, persons, uh, in, in, in all of the things that they've done have been to advance the dominant caste. 
Um, so here's a president who threatened that because he said, no, that's not going to be. We're going to have civil rights in this country and everybody's going to be your brothers and sisters and we're going to be able to do uh, with everybody uh, being, being treated equally and fairly. And so uh, he, and he was very serious when he, when he said that. And so uh, I believe that his vice president is culpable, okay? We're talking about Lyndon Baines Johnson. Lyndon Baines Johnson, who came from the South, okay, he was the running mate who got snubbed. He was supposed to be, he wanted to be the, the, the president, okay? But uh, this young fellow who was from the North, John F. Kennedy, he got the nod from the Democrat Party. So John, John F. Kennedy trying, I think it was, well, he wanted to win the election. He wanted to get Southern support. So he select, he's like, hey, man, um, how about you be my running mate? And so they agreed. And so he was the vice president. And I believe that there was a lot of, uh, of things that John F. Kennedy was doing that uh, Mr., uh, Mr. Baines Johnson, Lyndon Baines Johnson, didn't agree with. And so I also believe that the, the de facto leader of the Democrat Party was this guy, Lyndon Baines Johnson. Not, not necessarily this, this very progressive uh, leader of the free world, the American people, all the American people who was coming up with this idea of like, let's have civil rights. That wasn't, that wasn't sitting well with the Democrat Party, and it definitely wasn't sitting well, in my opinion, my, my theory, with, uh, with, with Lyndon Baines Johnson. So how is it that uh, when, when uh, John F. Kennedy goes to Lyndon Baines Johnson's territory, to Texas, okay, where Johnson's from, and this is where he gets slain. This is where he gets mowed down by the very forces that are under the thumb of Lyndon Johnson, okay, uh, he knows those people well. Those are his people. That's his. That's his state, right? Uh, these are the people that work for him. All of the all the counties and the judges and all the you know the state legislature folks. You know they definitely want to kiss the ring of that Lyndon Baines Johnson. So I think that they did him a favor. Uh, if 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 they weren't uh, directly told by Johnson to do this deed, um, I think that they were uh, thinking that they were doing what Johnson wanted, and uh, you know. Johnson being, even though he was a, a terrible racist himself and he used the N-word every day in his everyday language, um, he was also a politician and he could see that, hey, wait a minute, America is looking into this thing that John F. Kennedy said and they're starting to demand. They're actually having all these riots, okay? They're saying, yeah, we, we want this civil rights. Uh, August of 1963, that's when the Dr. King had his, uh, had his I, have a, I Have a Dream speech. Okay, and um, yeah, that's that was earlier, but here comes November of 1963, and this terrible thing happens. So funny thing is that the guy who was accused of shooting him, um, he he wasn't he wasn't even an expert uh, rifleman. I think he was maybe a sharpshooter or maybe only a marksman. And uh, if you're from the military background, you know the sharpshooter is the top, uh, sharpshooter is in the middle, and then marksman is is qualified. Below that, you know, you just couldn't hit enough couldn't hit enough uh, spots on the target. So this guy who wasn't even the expert takes an old <laughs> rifle. I think it might've been like an Italian rifle or something like that with steel, uh, not even a scope. <laughs> and he's up there and he supposedly gets off three rounds, bolt action, right? Yeah, right. Bolt action, you know, one, two, three. One of them misses, two of them hit. And apparently, you know, we know we know the, the aftermath. Um, the president was was slain right there in the automobile. 
Of course, there's all kinds of theories about how that could have happened. I don't think that, I don't think that, um, um, what's his name? Uh, uh, I forgot his name. <laughs> the, the shooter. I don't think the shooter, the accused shooter did it. Okay. Um, and, um, he couldn't, I don't think he could have physically done it. Okay. I think it was a, it was a job done by those who were directed to do it, possibly from the CIA, possibly directed by, uh, the Democrat, uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson, you know, in some way or form. Okay. I think he wanted to gain the presidency. I think he wanted to wrest the, uh, what was happening in his mind to the country and what was happening in his mind to his beloved Democrat party who were, they were looking at him and saying, what you going to do about it, Mr. LBJ? This that we ain't going to have this. Well, you know, LBJ had some, uh, he had to talk to a lot of folks. I'll bet he had a whole lot of backroom uh, discussions with his party. Okay, and now I'm going to tell you a little story. <laughs> you know, some people want to say that, oh, no, you know, J.D., that, that Democrat party, they're good now. They're good, man. Check it out, man. They got, they're such a loving party. They love the environment. They love women. They love minorities, of course. And, you know, look, they had a, a, a President Barack Obama. You know, all of this is nonsense, okay? And here's why, okay? Uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson, he's the kingpin. He's the one who, he was smart, okay? He was very political. He, he had been running the Senate, okay? He was the majority leader of the Senate for the whole presidency before he became vice president during uh, Eisenhower's presidency. Um, and so he was basically, uh, you know, a very powerful guy in the, in, in the government, in the, in the, the party, of course. And, um, and the Democrat Party was extremely powerful from all the way through the 40s. The 50s, the Congress is pretty much all Democrat. 60s, all Democrat. So all this power, and he's the guy in charge, and he's the mastermind, Lyndon Baines Johnson. So um, there's this talk about how the party was flipped, okay? Well, it might have been flipped. He took, he took his big spatula underneath that sausage, that sausage patty, and he flipped it onto the other side, but it's still the same nasty sausage patty that it was, okay? Um, here's the deal. When, oh man, I almost sounded like Biden. Here's the deal. <laughs> okay, Lyndon Baines Johnson realized that his party was not happy with the situation, okay? And so uh, I think he designed this remedy to remove the president, JFK, and uh, place himself in the presidency. And the also being a, being a uh, very shrewd politician, he figured out a way to win over the African-American to the vote of Democrat, okay? Because before that, they were not voting Democrat. And I think they were, there was plenty of terror in, in their minds, like, right, well, if you're going to vote, might as well vote Democrat, you know, and then, then we won't, we won't uh, terrorize you uh, because of all the history, 100 years of terror uh, leading up to that. Uh, all brought by the Democrat Party. Anyway, so have you ever seen that movie, that movie Cars? Okay, this is, there's Doc. Doc is the uh, he's the, uh, the the car that is talking to the young fella. He's the one who used to be a racer, but now he's old and retired, and um, he's just done so much stuff, and he's got all these trophies, you know, in dust off, very dusty trophies that that the young uh, Lightning McQueen sees those trophies and. He's like, you know, finally he's starting to teach Lightning McQueen how to do uh, the old style of racing. Because Lightning McQueen, he's, a, he's been a champion on the, on the asphalt track. But he's like, no, you got to learn how to race on dirt. So, and Lightning McQueen's like, oh, I can do that, no problem. So he goes out there and he's going to do turn around the corners of the dirt. He's just turn it to the left, turn it to the left. 
That's how he's used to doing it on the asphalt track. Turn it to the left. And what? Accident. Goes into the cactus, right? And uh, no, Doc says, no, you don't do that. If you want to go to the left, you got to steer right. And this is like blowing his mind. What are you talking about? Like, yeah, that's what you got to do. So in order for to, to steer to the left, you got to turn to the right. So this is exactly what LBJ did. Okay, so when Lightning McQueen did that, he's going so fast around the curve, he actually turns his wheels to the right, and the rear wheels are, are still keeping himself sta stable, and he's still going to the left around the curve, uh, nice and steady, going towards the left, okay? Um, although appearing to, you know, turning to the right, he's going to the left where he intended to go. So here is the Democrat Party, and here is LBJ saying, no, boys, this is what you got to do, because all of his party boys, they were used to going, oh, no, if we want to if we wanna do our thing, we got to turn it to the left. And he's like, no, you got to do this. You got to turn it to the right, and you got to pass these civil rights laws, and then we got some more things going for you. You got to, then you got to do all this uh, uh, government program stuff that he called the Great Society. And so then you can still keep control over everything, and it looks like you're actually doing, uh, turning to the right, but you're still doing exactly what the whole party wants to do in the first place and stay on top, you know? And that's exactly what he did, and he fooled millions and millions of people who are still to this day voting that way, thinking they're doing good, okay? But their policies are doing otherwise, okay? And Jesus said... Uh, you can tell a tree by its fruit, okay? So you can see what this fruit has produced. This tree is the same tree that it was from uh, before our country was formed, uh, during slaveholding times, during the Civil War, during Jim Crow and the KKK and all that uh, resistance to civil rights and all those lynchings. This is the same tree that today is passing all these laws that continue to keep the uh, minority, uh, mostly African Americans, down the same party that uh, they appear to be good. It's called faux benevolent. All right, faux, faux meaning you know not not right or false, false benevolence. So they fooled so many people to vote. They think they're voting for good, but it's actually the opposite. And uh, right now, I think LBJ is still laughing in his grave because, as he said, he said. Uh, we'll have all those N-words voting Democratic for the next 200 years. And so far, he's been right. Um, anyway, I can't wait to see what this book says about that period of time because it's going to go through that time, and I'll, I'll share that with you next week. Um, so, yeah, my theory about how JFK was, uh, was, uh, was knocked off, I think it was an inside job. I think it was directed by LBJ and, uh, and his party cronies, and I think they got what they wanted. They got control or what they thought was control of their party back. Um, they mourned. In fact, there's records of him saying that how he's really sad that uh, many of he was going to be losing um, the support of the Southern voters. And guess what? Um, it took a little while. They didn't finally turn until Carter got in there and screwed things up. But then most many of the uh, Southern states, uh, the voters started to vote uh, for the Republican Party because they were tired of the nonsense. And uh, anyway. Um, the the republicans uh, they they have they've done some things wrong of course and they've definitely one of the worst wrongs that they've done is they've not stopped the democrat terror machine and so uh they still haven't figured it out but um once that is finally figured out 
I think that there's going to be a much better situation for everybody, no matter what your skin color. You should be a citizen. You should be a brother and a sister. You should be somebody who who you can have mutual respect for. And that that's that's the America. That's the that's the America that I'm looking for. That's the America that I see when I see that these colors are still there. I see all the people that died to make sure that we had the ability to overcome this ugly slavery. Even though people died, we have the flag to, sh to show that the concept of freedom lives on. And like I was mentioning to you in one of these uh, little snippets in here, the story of how the, you know, the, the epic uh, story of American adventure and how the, uh, you know, the, 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 um, the hero never dies, okay? And no, the hero never dies. The hero is still there, and the hero will remain there. The hero is is every single American mutt citizen, okay? And we will continue on, no matter what kind of nonsense we have to deal with. We will prevail. America's concept of freedom will prevail. So, it's a shame that uh, that John F. Kennedy had to be sacrificed so that we could still move on. And uh, it turns out that uh, his sacrifice, there's a lot of people who uh, really liked John F. Kennedy, a lot of people from both sides of the aisle that liked him. And uh, I think I would have liked him a lot. I was, I was born, you know, when I was born in 70, he, you know, he died in 63. But, um, you know, our country took a big jolt from that. And the country was remaining in shock, I believe, for, uh, you know, the time that it took for people to go ahead and somehow be convinced. And, you know, of course, they weren't telling. We, we know a lot more now than they did back in, than people knew back then uh, that uh, how, what kind of things Johnson was into, okay? Because we have freedom, inf uh, freedom of information now. We can find out stuff. And I, and I really, really want to dig in and find out more about it. It's, I'm very curious about 1963 and basically the 60s because I think it has a lot to do with our plight today. Um, I still think, I think today we're unraveling or trying to address the effects of Jim Crow 2.0, which began, in my opinion, in the mid-60s uh, and started with LBJ and, and what he was doing because uh, we, we've just seen so much devastation, okay? One point of devastation I'll tell you about, which is part of the Great Society plan and how they've been controlling the population of African Americans in this country is through the use of abortions, okay? There have been so many abortions. There have been over 60 million abortions since 1973, and most of them, two, a, lar a large share of them, two, more, than, more than a third of them, have been for African-American babies uh, being aborted, okay? So we're talking about 19 million African-American babies have died um, through this abortion process, which... Uh, have been pushed as, oh, it's a faux benevolent. It's it's for women's rights, you know. You can't stop women's rights. Well, how about the babies, okay? 19 million murders, okay, of African Americans. That's the population of New York State. Let that sink in a little bit. New York State. How would you like to see the population of New York State just poof, gone? We lost a lot of people in COVID. What if we just suddenly lost, poof, New York, gone, okay? You know, that's the effect of what the policies of this party have done is to create that kind of death, okay? Not to mention the other people, you know, there's 60 million um, abortions, okay? And uh, it, it, it affects, 
it affects families, okay? It doesn't affect just the, the young woman. It affects everyone in that family. How about the father who couldn't become the father, okay? How about the brother who didn't have a, a little sister, okay? This happened to me. And my mom, she carried that pain with her for uh, the rest of her life, okay? So how about the, the trauma and the, the serious mental anguish and pain that, uh, that affects how many million? 60 million women, okay? Um, it, it's, it's tragedy, okay? It's so much tragic tragedy, uh, but, but here's a party that says, it's all for women's rights. And then they get people happy and voting, and 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 it's really for for uh, protecting their party's uh, advancement of the dominant caste. Okay, and that's the sad shame of it. So I'm rambling on. Uh, I'm I'm a little groggy right now. I I just had my COVID shot yesterday, my second one. So maybe maybe I'm feeling a little groggy from that. I don't know. So so far so good. This is uh, J.D. Collier. I'm going to go ahead and end this podcast. It's getting a little long, and uh, I'm going to bring part three next week to go over the rest of this book. And uh, happy Juneteenth, America. I hope that you can enjoy it as uh, we approach uh, the, the 4th of July holiday. And when that comes up, the 4th of July, I'm planning on, uh, in the month of July, to uh, highlight some American heroes from the from the you know, the, the revolutionary time frame, uh, people like, uh, Benjamin Franklin's going to be one of the, one of the weeks, uh, Patrick Henry, um, Alexander Hamilton. And I might do a comparison of, uh, John Adams and, uh, Thomas Jefferson. So anyway, stay tuned and, uh, we'll see you next week. This is JD Collier with Eagle Haas and Ham. Get up! Quarter to four. I go to work and I hit the floor. Hard work, work. A hard work, work. A hard work, work. A hard work, work. Hard work, work. All right, guys, that's awesome.